Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. This is AppSats Radio, help for partners after sexual betrayal. We talk about it here. Betrayal trauma. We are AppSats certified clinical partner specialists and coaches who have been trained to help navigate you through this crisis. There is nothing we won't talk about. So I've got Amy on the line. Amy, welcome to the show. What's your question? Well, I have a question about what um, healthy sexuality looks like when Mm. a sex addict is in recovery. One of the things we know about research and sex addicts is that they don't necessarily want sex with their own wife. And so to me, that says he's in really good recovery because he does want that with you. He has been two years sober. He has been in three facilities. And I suspect that's how he's wanting closeness with you. And that... Hi, I'm Carol Jurgensen Sheets, and it is so good to be with you today here on Betrayal Recovery Radio. I mean, this is a show where you get partner-sensitive information that will help you to understand yourself better, perhaps help you to understand your coupleship better, if you're in one, and help you to understand the sex addict that you were with, are with, or continue to be with. And one of the things that I admire most about this organization, they trained me, is that they really know that there are lots of opportunities for you to get healthy And so one of the things that we believe is that this radio show will disseminate information that will help you feel better about yourself and will give you ideas as to where you can go next. Now, what does that mean? That means that whether you're in discovery, you just found out about the addiction, um, you have decided to stay for the time being with the addict and you've participated in a disclosure, a formal disclosure where you learn all the truth, or whether you've made the decision to stay with him or leave, it's always good to know how you can cope, how you can cope with this crisis, as well as how you can live as normal of a life as possible. I was talking to a woman today, and I said, you know, you are relatively healthy. And she said, really? Doesn't seem like I am. And I said, oh, no, yes, you are. For the crisis that you've been through, for the work that you've done, you are really ready to step into creating more of a life that you deserve, actualizing your potential, and creating an identity that is separate from. This is probably one of the toughest things about partner betrayal is that you can get really locked into that identity of I'm with a man I can't trust, therefore I'm a partner, therefore I need to work on this, and I can't enjoy other areas of my life because I don't feel safe. Well, part of feeling safe means that you do have to create a life that can support you, 
create a life that's going to make you feel better about you. And today, we have a national author on. I've had him on other podcasts before. He's very um, delightful. He has made it his mission to talk about abuse and rain, which, of course, is the largest organization in the United States that helps people to deal with overcoming sexual assault and abuse. It's RAIN, R-A-I-N-N, stands for Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. I'm talking about David Essel. And he is an author, a counselor, and a life coach who's helped hundreds of sexually, actually probably thousands of survivors rise from the ashes to create a life of freedom and abundance. And so we're going to be talking about some of the symptoms or manifestations of sexual abuse, sexual assault, and more, and how that ties into post-traumatic stress or complex post-traumatic stress. Because here's the deal. If you have a history of being betrayed in your past, maybe you were raped as a child or an adolescent or a college student, Maybe you um, were sexually molested. Maybe you were abandoned by a parent. If you've had these kind of traumas in your life, big T traumas, and then something like sexual addiction occurs, you may feel like you attracted this into your life, this sex addiction. And I'm here to tell you, no, you didn't. No matter what happened to you in your past, you did not attract it into your present. But it certainly complicates things, doesn't it? I mean, truly, when you have grown up with betrayal and abandonment and abuse, well, it leaves you with feelings of post-traumatic stress And oftentimes, you forget growing up what it's like not to be under stress and anxiety. You absolutely forget that. And so today, we're going to be talking about, hey, how do you live your best life, especially if you've had all of these horrendous things occur in your life, or maybe just Another one, you know, maybe you were molested at age five and led a relatively normal life, but you always felt different because that trauma had occurred. Greatest benefit of being able to deal with past abuse and neglect is really understanding that you can heal from it and then use the skills that you are identifying right now as a partner of sexual betrayal to grow healthier, happier, and and finding out who you are. 
you know, I teach women about assertiveness and how to do that and boundary setting and how to do that. We work on improved communication. I always say assertiveness is being clear and direct about how you feel, what you believe, and what you need. It doesn't mean you get your way, but it does mean that you have the right, whether it be with a friend, a coworker, your partner, your kids, your mother, your father, you have the right to be clear and direct about what you need, how you feel, and what you believe. People didn't grow up that way. They didn't know they had the right to be assertive. Maybe they lived under the, the family premise, kids are to be seen and not heard. One of the blessings, if you will, from working on yourself as a result of sexual betrayal is that you learn good, healthy boundaries. You learn when to say no and to believe that no is an entire sentence. You know, if if there's a no in your life, you don't have to explain it. You may want to, and that's okay. But if somebody asks you to do something, it's absolutely okay to say, no, I'm not able to do that. Somebody wants you to work on um, helping them uh, get to the store, take their child to school, um, be a carpool. And if you can't do that, it is absolutely okay to say no. I am not able to assist you at this time. So assertiveness and boundary setting is really, really important. And when you are able to do those two things, you have more time to focus on you and to identify what your needs are. Now, I always say that if you're looking at your needs, you should look at the social, the physical, the emotional, the purposeful, the spiritual, and I'm thinking, did I say intellectual? Well, there are six needs, and although they're not always going to be balanced by any stretch of the imagination, if you have four small kids running around, it's going to be harder to meet your needs. But you should find ways to attend to each one of those special parts of you. You know, how do I meet my needs? Well, one way I physically meet my needs is that I work out every single day. I go straight to the closet in the morning. I put on my workout gear. I get up an hour early so that I don't let anything stop me. One way I meet my emotional needs is that I have good friends that I can share my feelings with. I have a check-in with my husband at least every other day. One way that I can meet my social needs, well, I got that one down. Even though I've got a wonderful husband and we do a lot of fun things together, I have a girlfriend night every Thursday night, yes, tonight, I've got another friend who's coming in from Tennessee. I'm in Indianapolis. 
and she's coming over, and we're going to hang out, have a drink, and go to dinner with three other friends. Tuesday night is sister night. I always have my sister over. I make time for my female friends because I need that. Spiritually, I attend church. I pray. And I make it a point to notice how God is working in my life. Because we as people can get stuck in what's not working for us, but I really believe we have to look at how God is making our life better. And, you know, they say the best form of prayer is just thanking God, thanking your higher power for everything that's working, everything that's going right. Intellectually, I do a lot of things. When I got my Mac, I was stretching myself intellectually because I had always worked with an HP. Many of you may know I train, I teach clinicians and coaches for that, always learning new material. And perhaps this show is the best blessing because I interview experts all over the world on sexual addiction, partner betrayal, coaching, actualizing your life. I mean, it's like I attend a one-hour seminar, Sex Help with Carol the Coach, and then this podcast, Betrayal Recovery Radio for APSATS. So, how do you meet your needs? You know, the more trauma that has occurred in your life, the more important it is to meet your needs. And again, those are social, spiritual, emotional, physical, intellectual, and last but not least, purposeful. How do you make a difference in somebody's life? What do you do to make that happen? It's always important to be able to know what it is that can meet those needs. And that's why I'm Carol the Coach, making sure you take care of yourself Because you've heard me say it before, partner betrayal requires intentional self-care. That means you have to put yourself first, at least part of the time, to assess what you need. And when you work it, it works. And that's why I believe you got to stay in the forefront of what it is that you need to combat the trauma from sexual addiction, from spousal abuse, and from any abuse, abandonment, or neglect that you experienced as a kid. So I am thrilled today to be working with David Essel. And again, he's a best-selling author, he's a counselor, and he's a life coach. And he has made it his mission to really help men and women to take a look at their abuse that they may have experienced as a kid, as a young adult, and to make their life better. So, David, welcome to Betrayal Recovery Radio. How are you? Carol, it's great to be back with you. Well, thank you so much. It's good to hear from you, too. Are you in Florida? Yes, I am. I thought so. 
David is in one of my favorite cities. I've got to think, is it, was that Bonita or is that Naples? Well, we're in Fort Myers, just north of Bonita and north of Naples, yes. Okay, it's in that triangle. I'll be down there in a couple of weeks, so I'll look for you on the beach. Oh, my gosh, you've got to. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, you know, you have um, partnered, if you will, with RAIN, and RAIN stands for Rape, Abuse, and the Incest National Network. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up with your mission to work with all types of abuse. Carol, it's a beautiful question because it was never my intention, uh, you know, to, to work in this field. Of course, I, I've been doing the work for 40 years, 30 years as a counselor and life coach. And, and even 30 years ago, I never really intended to get into work with rape, incest survivors, sexual abuse survivors. Um, it, just, it just really wasn't in the cards. But I was shocked one day in the early 90s when a woman came in and she was talking about wanting to lose weight. And she had about 100 pounds to lose. And I said, awesome, not a problem. And we started going through our traditional weight loss program. And she was doing pretty good. And then all of a sudden, she missed two weeks in a row. And when she finally came back in, you know, I said, well, what's going on? And she said, oh, God, you know, I, I, I just fell off the program again. And if it wasn't for men, I wouldn't have this issue with weight. And when she made that comment, Carol, I was taken aback because she had never mentioned anything about men anything about abuse, anything about anything. And so I said, well, go ahead and tell me a little bit more about, you know, what's going on with men. And she said, well, I'm 100 pounds overweight for a really good reason. And I said, what's that? And she said, I don't trust men and I don't ever want to be abused by a man again. And Carol, that opened up, it was around 1991, that opened up an avenue for me Um, Now, I had already been working with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And through that organization, I was shocked in 1988 to find out that 90% of sexual abuse victims as children know the attacker, know the abuser. I couldn't believe it in 1988. That statistic still hasn't changed today. So I had been in the field sort of on the outside looking in, supporting National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, learning about the abuse. And then in 1991, when this woman stated that she basically had gained the weight so she would be unattractive and never have to be sexually abused again. And that set me off on this whole new trajectory, Carol, where I started then via her comments and her friends, I started to attract people who had been molested or abused in domestic violence or had uh, suffered from incest or rape. And now it's been 30 years of working in the industry. And I believe that RAIN, the organization that you just mentioned, and National Center for Missing and Exploited Children are probably two of the most powerful organizations that people who are on either side of the fence, either a former sexual abuser, sex addict, or a former partner or current partner or family members of someone who was the abuser, we we need to get involved in these organizations to read the statistics, to become more aware in order to start to dismantle this horrendous curve that's happened. And we all know about the Catholic Church and how sexual abuse has been supported, in David Essel's words, 
by the Catholic Church. Now, I was raised Roman Catholic. I was an altar boy for 10 years. I never had any type of sexual misconduct by priests in my parish, in my community. But I will tell you, and we've written several articles about this, Carol, is that that is probably one of the most devious organizations in the world. And those are strong words. I understand it. I've said it in many articles I've written. It's everything is top down. When you have the current pope and the previous pope that knew without a doubt that Theodore McCarrick, a bishop who now finally has been expelled, has been abusing boys, young men, and seminarians for 30 years. Everyone knew it was going on. There was a city, and I'm trying to think, in New Jersey, there's 200 Catholic priests that have been accused of, of sexual abuse with children in another that, that city. That was in Pennsylvania. That was in Pennsylvania. But, but David, no, I want to stop thousand. you. Carol, oh, that's a thousand. Yeah. In New Jersey, in, in it's Pennsylvania. In, in okay. Pennsylvania, it's a thousand. I mean, you know, when we look at one, you know, an organization like this that has, and I know this is strong words, that has promoted the secrecy of sexual abuse, we shouldn't wonder why it's such a problem in the world. Well, yes, exactly. And, you know, you have, if you will, uh, that are very, very common for people that have experienced sexual abuse and neglect. And, and I wondered if we could talk about those a little bit. Um, because you say insomnia or trouble sleeping is absolutely the number one manifestation of sexual abuse, assault, and more. How did you get that information? I believe that 100%. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, it's it's uh, it's really amazing. Every since 1991, every person who has been ass- sexually assaulted, abused, raped, molested, has always had trouble sleeping. As a matter of fact, most abuse victims are currently on or using some type of medication to sleep. It could be alcohol. It could be drugs. Um, it, it, it could be Ambien abusing Ambien or Xanax or anything else that's out there. Now, we know in the world of psychology that the most powerful part of the mind is the subconscious mind. That part of the mind can compartmentalize abuse and rape for 20, 30, 50, 60, 70 years. It can try to keep it in a corner. But at nighttime, when it's not distracted, when the conscious and the subconscious mind aren't distracted by television, radio, work, relationships, or anything else, eating, whatever, watching TV, that's when those (laughs) memories start to repeat themselves. That's when the thoughts start to come up. And, Carol, you know this because you're an expert in this field. A lot of survivors of incest and rape and assault I mean, it's not just rage and anger at the attacker. A lot of them battle extremely low self-esteem, extremely low self-confidence, shame and guilt, and just a myriad of emotions that become alive, we say in my practice, at night. So they're submerged during the day. We're busy. We're active. We're distracting ourselves. But at night, when you shut your eyes, that's when the thoughts easily arise. Now, I will say that because we've worked with so many people who have been negatively affected by some type of sexual interaction, it's not that they wake up at night and they can't sleep because they're reliving the attack or that they're anxious about having something like that happen again. 
While that can happen, that's not as much of the norm, but they just can't understand why they can't sleep. We cannot access the subconscious mind via our conscious mind. In other words, you can't wake up and go, well, let me think, let me see what was going on in the subconscious that's keeping me up all night. That's not possible. But when we take our clients through a series of writing exercises and we find that they still have rage or anger at the attacker or the abuser, or they still feel shame and guilt, and they've never thoroughly, Carol, worked through all of these emotions, then that's what comes up to destroy our sleep cycles, to create insomnia and, and all kinds of hassles in the evening when the brain is alive and there's no distraction to take our attention away. Well, and, you know, I really thought what you were going to say when you said, Carol, you know this is one of your specialty, too. I thought what you were going to say to me, because I believe this to be true, that when people have been abused um, sexually, physically, um, when they've been neglected, they, it always comes down to them wondering what was wrong with them. Why did this happen to them? Sometimes they have a spiritual crisis and they wonder why would God allow this to happen to them. And that also really interferes with sleep and can cause insomnia. Now, a couple other questions, because you have listed several symptoms or manifestations of sexual abuse and sexual assault. You say agoraphobia is number two. So tell yes. us a little bit about agoraphobia or agoraphobia and, and how that's number two. Yeah, it's, again, and a lot of these things surprised me over the years of how high they rank. Um, agoraphobia is isolation avoidance, and it's usually isolation and avoidance in one's home. So they, they don't go out or they don't go out very often. You know, I have two clients right now that we just shattered agoraphobia with uh, one who was raped and left for dead a number of years ago. Um, she is now out flying the country. Uh, she actually is just so adorable. She contacted me and asked me if I would help remind her how to date and when to kiss a man and all these things that she has totally forgotten. She, you know, her rape was a number of years ago, but she never had any work done with it. So it's been years since she's dated, years since she's been out of the house. And, and we find that that's not as abnormal as people think. Now, there's another form, we call it agoraphobia light, where someone will be able to go out and go to work, but only because of the fact that they're forced to in order to survive. But then when they're not working, they are locked in the house. Uh, and, and that is number two. And it's, it's a lot more prevalent we can go to Agoria Light Level 2, which is where people will be able to go to work and they'll go to places that they feel incredibly safe, but they would never go and do something new, spontaneous. You know, they feel chained to the house because of the trauma, and we know it's all about PTSD, the, the post-traumatic stress disorder that they feel and have never worked through and, Carol, this can keep someone pretty much bound to their house for the rest of their existence if they don't do the work, commit to the work. So it's a real serious issue. Well, that makes perfect sense, and I like the fact that you identified the difference between agoraphobia and agoraphobia light because you're right. Isolation is such an issue for women. You know, I this show specifically deals with 
sex addiction and partner betrayal. And it's for the women that have experienced this betrayal. And oftentimes they have been in such a crisis with this situation and have had childhood betrayals like molestation and, and physical abuse. And they just decide it's not safe to be out anymore. It's safer to be at home that they can control. So I appreciate the fact that you have that category of agoraphobia light. Now, number three, you know, clearly um, when somebody's experienced trauma in their childhood, abuse, neglect, they more than likely have some sort of dysfunctional relationship from the past that may even carry into the present. I got to tell you one thing, though. This is something that you don't know about us, David, but APSATS, the training organization that helps partners to um, heal, we say that although you may have um, sex addiction in your present, you did not attract it based on your trauma. That's the one thing that we really stand out as saying, when you married or fell in love with a sex addict, they were so deceitful, they did not know. Um, they, they hid it from you, and you did not know what you didn't know, and you didn't attract this into your life. And that's a little bit different than a lot of women that, you know, have been told, hey, you, your husband's sick, and so are you. You attracted him into your life to work things out. So as you talk about dysfunctional relationships, can you talk a little bit about what you've seen in sexual abuse and how it showed up in intimate relationships? We see that, um, and we'll just stay stereotypical with women right now. We see a hard, that they have a very hard time bonding in general. Um, intimate relationships aside, even with deep friendships, they have a tendency to stay on the outside circle um, and it's because they, they have been betrayed, they have been hurt, they have been lied to, they have been manipulated. And so there's this general distrust of the human race. Uh, they do not look at intimate relationships the same anymore. As a matter of fact, we go on and say in our, on our website that you know, they, they'll go in one of two directions, either abstinence um, or they'll become outrageously promiscuous. This past weekend, I spoke at a conference on sexual abuse, and, you know, the, the individuals went crazy when I was talking about promiscuity um, because so many of them in the audience saw that, that in themselves. You know, they, they saw their self-worth as their body or their ability to bring a man or a woman to orgasm, and that was it. That was, that was, that's their purpose. And so with that type of a purpose, we feel um, very uh, identified for our ability to be sexual, and that's about it. That's the identity. It's very, very scary. And what we do in our work is we get people slowly by releasing the past first. You know, one of the things we say, Carol, in all of our work is step number one is to let go. Step number two is to add. So when we say that, we need to go in and look at the emotions of rage and anger, betrayal, shame and guilt, and more. And we need to work through those emotions to our best of our ability to let go of those things that were from the past that are not current in the moment happening. And then we add healthy practices to boost self-esteem and confidence. But you know, I was talking to a counselor the other day, and, and we have a totally different opinion on this. She was talking about 
how she teaches her clients that have been sexually abused to use the world of positive thinking to basically cover up the anger, rage, resentment, low self-esteem, low self-confidence, shame, and guilt, which I totally disagree with. I don't think, and as a matter of fact, you know, we wrote a book that was a number one bestseller four years ago, Positive Thinking Will Never Change Your Life. Because I think a lot of people, what they think is that, okay, if I just get myself in a positive mindset, I can let go of the past and forget it. The subconscious is not having any of that. Until we do the deep work, that pain is there. You may shift it to a different compartment in the brain, different cells in the body, but it's not going anywhere. And until we do that deep work, intimate relationships or close friendships are going to be very difficult for someone who has been abused to work through. And so then what do you see as being some of the deep work? How would you help somebody do some deep work? What does that mean for a listening audience? Yeah, great question, Carol. Um, this is where it gets tough. This is where you know, we – and we have stories if people want to read about the, the clients we've worked with. They can go to the website, talkdavid.com. But the, the deep work, in our opinion, begins with, number one, the steps to bring someone to desensitization, a fancy word that simply means the past I speak about as a fact – free of emotion. That's desensitization. That means, and and it's got to be done in writing. This isn't something that you can sit down with a counselor over the course of weeks and and do your hour session and think that you're going to heal. We don't see that as relevant at all. We actually have our clients go back to the experiences, Carol. We have them write and write and write the exact experience. So as probably one of the most powerful examples I can give, a client who was raped and left for dead didn't seek help after that, and they never found the rapist, didn't seek help for about 10 years. Then she finally did seek help, and she worked through five, six, seven counselors, which is not uncommon. You know, sometimes people think, oh, my God, you know, if I have to go through five or six or seven counselors to deal with my rape or molestation or incest, there must be something wrong with me. Not at all. It's important that you continue to look for someone that you really connect with and ultimately trust at the deepest level. So we had her um, the first second she was in the stairwell and realized someone was grabbing her neck until she awoken the next day in the ICU. We had her recall and write about every instance that she could remember. And that was phase one. And what we're doing is, is that we're getting them to go as deep as possible in order to bring up the emotion so it doesn't get stuck inside the body because it will get stuck. The second phase is that we had her then writing letters to the rapist. Now, remember, this person was never found, so she just chose Mr. X. And she just went through two and a half months, seven days a week, of writing letters of rage and anger and and everything you can imagine with extremely powerful words to let this person know that this was unacceptable and she expressed that. Now, these letters are being done by herself and they're only shared with myself, a counselor. They're not shared with friends and family because to the outside world that doesn't understand the process I'm discussing, a lot of people would say, that's not for me or I would never go there, or now you're recreating trauma. And we are recreating trauma because if we don't get it out, 
that's where I write about almost every sex abuse person that I have ever worked with has extreme problems with self-esteem, confidence, and with addiction. And food addiction is one of the biggest ones for women that we have seen who have been sexually assaulted, abused, or raped. So we had her go through this writing of real rage and anger. And when she got to a place where that it was desensitized and she came in and she'd read the letters to me and she'd be crying and just reliving it all, but she got to this place, Carol, that was amazing. And one day she came in, and this was probably about six or seven months after we started working together, and she looked at me and she said, David, I don't have anything else to write to this guy. Like, I, I really believe I've gotten it all out. And so then the last phase we used with her was the writing of forgiveness. And when we write forgiveness, it's not the, I don't even know what you want to call it, the, the whitewashing of I forgive you for raping me. It's I forgive you for every, and then she went back every step of the way, Carol, from her first writings. I forgive you for grabbing my neck in the stairwell. I forgive you for pushing me to the ground, for cracking my tooth. In other words, we go into this extreme detail of forgiveness. And let me tell you how powerful this is. We use this for um, for adults or even children, depending, they have to be about 18 in order to, consciously understand this exercise but we use this for all sexual assault sexual abuse incest victims and at the end of the year now it on a lot of times it takes about 12 months to move through some type of a traumatic event like this at the end of the year she was writing letters of compassion to mr x hoping that he got the help that he needed hoping that he will never put another woman through what he put her through. And she was at such peace. At the end of the year, she was off of all anti-anxiety, antidepressant, sleep medications, off of all alcohol, all nicotine, and she started traveling, which she said she would That's the process in general we use. It's very intense, and it's outrageously effective. Well, and I happen to know that that is a very effective treatment. We use that in some of our treatment with trauma victims of partner betrayal, that desensitization along with other forms of therapy. And you mentioned some of that, the letter writing, the narrative stuff, a good therapist, an apt therapist. Um, It really, really works. Now, tell our listening audience, before we continue, you mentioned a website and and how could they get a hold of you if they wanted to further work with you? Yeah, Carol, the, the website is really easy to remember, talkdavid.com, T-A-L-K-David.com. And when you go to the website, you can see the different programs we offer. Um, you know, there's one that, that has a big no in the center of a circle, and underneath it it says sexual abuse So people who have been engaged or have a partner or a family member, you know, the other thing that we've found, Carol, is that a lot of a lot of families um, that were not involved uh, with the child when when they were abused. In other words, there's not a family member that caused the abuse. Let's say it was an uncle. We will work with the families and take them through if if you have a partner and your partner is really struggling because they were sexually assaulted, abused or raped or or experienced incest. And now their manifestations are coming to the surface and you don't know what to do. We take family members and 
partners through the same course so they can get a really good idea of what's happening in the minds of their child, adult child, or their partner. And um, so if they go to talkdavid.com, they can go ahead and see all the courses we offer, including the one on sexual abuse. Um, you know, we have codependency courses. There's, there's all kinds of stuff to also offer because you said something a minute ago that's really important. I laid out the groundwork of the most difficult part of what we do in counseling to help someone overcome a sexual assault issue. But we also use other techniques. You know, we'll use cognitive behavioral therapy. We will have them writing and reading affirmations and, and powerful stories of people who have overcome such tragedies. And we have a program that we offer for free for all of your listeners. And it's a daily video program. It's three minutes long. Every video is about three minutes long. We send them for free. All you have to do is go to the website, talkdavid.com. Sign up for David Essel's daily video boost. And Monday through Friday at no charge, you'll get an inspirational video. Because we know that whether we're talking about sexual abuse or um, a sexual dysfunction in a partnership, that people need to hear messages of hope and positivity while they're doing the hard work. So that's why we created the daily boost of several years. We want, even if someone doesn't work with me, we want them to have an edge in this world because it's a tough place to live. Oh, and I still agree with that. I was just saying at the beginning of the show that for partners that have been through the worst betrayal in their life, um, obviously their spouse having cheated on them multiple times and lying to them and having kept it a secret and compartmentalized, you know, when they start doing their own recovery, I encourage them to be able to have one foot in recovery and the other foot into more of a normal life again. You know, their life has been turned upside down. They're devastated. They're traumatized. They're experiencing post-traumatic stress. And it's good to have some things that will actually make you feel good about being alive. And it sounds like your inspirational three-minute videos is part of the solution. Yeah, it's really fun, you know, and we cover a million topics. So when someone joins, it's not going to be like all they're going to get is three minutes of inspiration on how to overcome sexual abuse or, you know, if your partner betrayed you via sexual activity. Um, th- there will be parts of the videos that down the road you will might every once in a while will do that topic. But really, they're just general, you know, how to shatter procrastination in order to save the marriage. Um, and, and if you are a victim of sexual assault or incest or rape, you know, we need those people to have the messages, too, that this isn't your whole identity. It was a horrendous experience if it happened six days ago or 60 years ago. It is definitely a life changer, but it doesn't have to be our identity. And one of the greatest things, Carol, that you probably have seen and I have seen is that when you have someone come in, and they have taken on that victim identity um, after a horrendous experience like this, and they do not think they can ever shake it. They don't think they could ever be optimistic or positive or have another relationship again. And then we see them turn it all around. That hope is so huge and so beautiful, and it'll come because they've chosen to commit to the work. Oh, 100%. And so, again, they can go to your website, and that is talkdavid.com? That's correct. Yeah, talkdavid.com. 
and sign up for the Daily Boost to get the videos for free and then look at all the other things we offer, the books and more. All right. Manifestations. Obviously, addiction. Addiction is number four in the manifestation. So I know the answer to this, but explain to our listening audience why addiction might be some collateral damage from having experienced sexual abuse or neglect. You know, in the short term, um, any and all addictions are phenomenal to distract us from internal pain. So what the purpose of an addiction is, is to take us to an alternate reality. If it's a sex addiction, we want to go to orgasm. If it's an alcohol addiction, we want to go to drunkenness or to feeling good or partying or whatever the words are. Um, If it's a food addiction, very fascinating information. A lot of your listeners probably know sugar, salt, white flour go to the pleasure center of the brain almost as quickly as alcohol and some drugs. So, People will want to numb themselves out, which is what addictions do. They take us out of reality and they numb emotions. So people will easily, Carol, become addicted. And it could be television. You know, like we don't talk about that enough, how people could come home. And, you know, there was a woman that had gone through a sexual assault. She was another woman that had gained quite a bit of weight to protect herself, to insulate herself from men being attracted to her. And she would sit from 8 to midnight in front of her television, distracted for four straight hours so she didn't have to think about all of the stress and struggle and PTSD she was still struggling with. And then on top of that, she would eat for those four hours. So she combined multiple addictions in order to get out of the reality and and to distract us from re-experiencing or just remembering the trauma we went through. I, I don't think... Carol, in 30 years, I don't think I've worked with any sexual abuse survivor uh, or victim who wasn't actively involved in an addiction. I I can't remember one. Yeah, that's amazing that you would say not one. And I'm going to have to think about that stat myself. You know, addiction shows up in so many ways, whether it's drugs or alcohol, workaholism, retail therapy, gambling, food addictions. I mean, there are just so many ways that we learn how to medicate ourselves when there is pain. So I, I will. I have to have to give that some thought. Now, yeah. what about number five? You, you talked about sexual promiscuity a bit, but one of, the, one of my experiences is that sometimes sexually abused kids grow up to be promiscuous for, th- for two or three reasons. One is trauma reenactment, you know, that it was a horrendous thing that occurred to them and somehow it got brain locked. And as a result, they continue to repeat the cycle, only now they see themselves as being in control. And that sense of control right. overrides that. Do you agree with that? Oh, Carol, you nailed it. As a matter of fact, on the weekend at the abuse, sex abuse conference I spoke at, a young woman came up to me. I'm going to say she was probably 29, and I was talking about how um, many men and women who have been abused will use their promiscuity as a way to gain control. Just what you just said. I'm so glad you said it. And she said to me, David, until you spoke today, I never, I never realized what I do with men. And she said, I always go after older men because I know I can control them with my 29-year-old body. 
I know that they lust after me. I know they desire me. And I can get them to do anything I want them to do in exchange for having sex. There was another woman I worked with who um, had been raped, well, sexually molested at the age of four. She went to a major university two years ago. Uh, her parents didn't have the money to send her. They scraped the first semester together to get her there. They didn't know what they were going to do for the second semester. And then one day she contacted them and said, hey, I got a loan. We're good. I'm fine for the next year. The parents were ecstatic. They didn't ask any other questions. The loan she got was a 68-year-old man that lived in the city that paid her for sex every night. And in, with that amount of money, she continued to go to school for another year. When I worked with her afterwards, she had the same answer that the 29-year-old had on Sunday, and that is, I will never be controlled by a man again, but I'll look for every opportunity to control men. Well, that's, that is exactly what I said, trauma reenactment at its fullest, and also that sense of control. And, and so, unfortunately, for our partners of sex addicts, with, well, I, I don't mean unfortunately, but they empathize to the degree that they don't want their addict husbands to ever exploit somebody who's been through this kind of trauma. And, you know, they, they work diligently to try to help the addict realize, you know, you thought you were paying for something and that they were okay with it, but a, they were probably exploiting you, and B, they probably had exploitation in their own childhood. So we realize yeah. that so much of sexual promiscuity and bartering for sex is really about past trauma, and I'm glad that you pointed that out. Now, I've got one more um, symptomatology I'd like for you to talk about before we have to end the show, and then I'm going to have to have you come back on and uh, talk about some more. Good, you, know, Carol, good. you you kind of talked about this, the identity of being the victim. Would you say a little bit more about how this shows up when somebody's been through some horrendous childhood experiences? When we have the identity of a victim, our whole life is usually quite challenging, much more challenging than it needs to be. So we talk with victim talk. You know, this isn't fair, that isn't fair. Um, we're jealous and envious of people that have things that we want. Instead of us changing the way we think and act and move in life to get what we want, the identity of being a victim means that life isn't fair. And it's not. I would never disagree with that statement. Life is not fair. But the victim carries that forward. And it, and it affects every area of their life more or less. You know, the amount of money that they're paid by their job is not enough. Uh, their partner doesn't pay enough attention to them. Uh, their family doesn't uh, support them in their moves. Uh, everything becomes this incredible challenge, this outrageous work. To dismantle that victim mentality, Carol, is so hard for many people. I, I'll say this. I think it's impossible to do it on your own. I don't think there's even, you know, when I went to the conference, one of the things I said as I was speaking is I said, please don't come to this conference get all this data and information and think you're healed, okay? Because it's not possible. Come to a two- or three-day workshop and heal something so traumatic that happened 30, 40, 50 years ago or a year ago, you, you, it's going to take you a lot more work. 
So we see people go to conferences, read books, listen to Carol's show, do all of this stuff. But then you've got to put the work in to shatter that victim mentality, that identity, and to let it go. And as I mentioned earlier, we're not saying it didn't happen. We're not putting our head in the sand and telling people, let's get to a point of desensitization and we can pretend nothing ever happened. I want my clients to be strong enough to talk in a private session about what happened, but eventually we want them to talk about it simply as fact. Yes, when I was six, my uncle did this, my father did that. When I was 22, I was raped in a, in a mall bathroom. When I was 30, my husband, I found him with my sister in bed. Whatever these horrendous acts are, we want people to not push them away and pretend they didn't happen, but we just want them to get to a point of speaking free of emotion, factual. Yes, that happened, and yes, I survived it, and now I'm thriving. That's kind of the end result that we want to see our clients get to when it comes to this travesty that they've gone through in order to shatter the victim identity. Yeah, and ultimately that's what all therapy is about is it's helping people to become healthy, whole, and happy and to live the life they deserve. David Essel, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today. Again, remind people how they can get a hold of you and um, explain, last but not least, that free course that you offer. Oh, sure, Carol. Thank you. Yeah, if, they, if our listeners just go to talkdavid.com, T-A-L-K, talkdavid.com, they can see all the courses we offer, relationship courses, financial courses, everything in the world, and then to make sure they sign up for the free video boost subscription service. It's called David Essel's Daily Video Boost. Sign up for that today for free. By tomorrow, you're going to start getting a video every Monday through Friday at no cost in your email box in order to help you to stay more positive in life. And, you know, Carol, I love being on your shows. I always have a blast. You ask great questions, and I really appreciate the difference you're making in this world. Thank you so much, David. And I know I've got you coming on the show, Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Can't wait to have you on there, too. And literally, we will have you back on this show so that we can go over some more indicators for sexual abuse and how it shows up as, um, as adults. So thanks so much. And you keep making a difference in this world. You bet I will, Carol. And I'll be back with you soon. Okay. I'll look for you on the beach. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Bye so now. that was David Essel. Bye bye. He is an author. He's a life coach. He's a therapist. Uh, you know, the man just does everything. And it's always exciting when someone takes on a dark situation like sexual abuse, neglect, rape, and helps people to heal. That's that's what we're all in this world to do the end of every show, there will be only one of you at all times. I fearlessly want you to have the courage to be your fr- be yourself and be your own best friend. And just know that we're here for you at appsats.org. That's A-P-S. And we'll see you next week. For more information, go to appsats.org, the Association of Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists, to find a professional in your area who is trained to help you after sexual betrayal.